This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Great to have you with us. Really uh, exciting time of the year. I love um, I love autumn. When I was a school teacher, I used to hate autumn because loads of extra work. But church, I love autumn. Lots of new people around. Lots of energy. Everybody's been on the beach. Well, okay, a few of us. Uh, and so, um, really looking forward to that. Um, what we're going to do over the next three weeks, we're going to have talk about those three things. We're going to talk about uh, go, give, grow. Okay, we're going to talk about those three things. And each one of them, we're going to attach some goals. We've never done that at God First. We've never said, okay, this is what we're believing for in the next few years. Because actually, fundamentally, church is much more about the values. It's about the kind of soft culture of how we do things. But sometimes it's good to set targets and we feel like we're ready to set targets. So we're going to set some targets. Okay, let me pray and let's go to work. Father, we thank you for your blessing on us financially. But more than that, Lord, we thank you that you have given yourself to us. Thank you that you're the God who's come poured out his life to bless us and to bless the world. Lord, we pray, pray, catch us up in that. Take our small-mindedness away and put us on fire for you. Lord, as we said last week, we don't want to be uh, lukewarm. We don't want to think we're alive and dead. We want to be passionately engaged in your mission to this world. So I pray, help me as, we, as I speak and help us as we listen. Please, please stir our hearts to action in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to speak about go this morning, but I just thought I'd give you like a big swing through the Bible uh, about, and, and we might touch on give. Uh, so the first thing I want to ask you the question, what on earth are you here for? What on earth are you here for? Uh, and we might kind of think, well, I'm here for a successful career or a happy marriage. I'm here to watch the tour of, tour of Britain in the rain. I don't know, whatever, whatever lights your lights, you might say, I'm here for the weekend. Uh, but in terms of existentially, in terms of the big things, what are you really here for? I don't think many of us would come up with Genesis 1, 27 and 28. But basically, this is the mandate for creation. This is the reason why you are here as a human being on this earth. Uh, it says in uh, the uh, creation story, uh, in, the, in the sixth day, obviously, God's created man. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue and rule over it. So you're here, in, what, in a natural sense, you're here, you are here to have kids. You're here to be fruitful and to increase in number and fill the earth. So, so the fact that the earth is full of people isn't a surprise. That was in the original design. But actually what's happened is uh, the, the original design, is, and we'll say that in a moment, it's kind of got lost, but the original design was to, to subdue the earth and to rule it. Now when we talk about rule, we often think, oh, that's kind of harsh dictatorial rule. But actually the clue is in previously said God blessed them. 
God blessed them. God is the king and the ruler. And how does he rule? He blesses the first couple, Adam and Eve. Blesses humanity. And basically he says, I want you to go and bring that blessing to the nations. I want you to go and bring that goodness, my goodness, to the nations. So that's the kind of original mandate. And we often talk about the way that you can do that. So you don't have to be married to do that. But you don't have to be married to, um, to do that. You can be single because actually what ultimately, and we'll find later on in the story, that it's about having gospel children. It's about having children born of the Spirit of God, people who know Jesus, who bless the world. We're not just saved so we can be happy. We're saved to bless the world. And so, in one sense, you could almost pull out of Genesis uh, 27 and 28, you could pull out our go, give, grow. I hope it's not too tight a, a squeeze, but, but basically there's a go. Go and fill the earth. It's not go and stay and be happy and content. It's go and fill the earth. It's give. Bless the world with God's good rule. And it's grow. Increase in number. And it starts in a prototype garden. It starts in a prototype garden. And the plan is that the God's paradise is going to stretch over the whole world. That's the original plan. And you think, well, that's nice. Why did that happen? Because the reason why that happened is because God is a, a going, giving and growing God. He's a God who's constantly going and overflowing. I wrote this and I've just put it on the slide. God is by his very nature a life-giving father. Before he's anything else, he's a father. Before he's a creator and ruler, he's a father. He's a father who gives himself away to his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a son who gives himself away to his father by the Holy Spirit. That is, he's a life-giving father who eternally outgoing, pouring out his love and life into his beloved son by his spirit. God's love and life is ever growing, ever overflowing in creating a people in his image. And if you get married and you think, uh, and that you get that moment where uh, your wife says, oh, I think we need to have children. In fact, we, it was far too early. Naomi said to me, far too early. I said, can't we have some fun first? <laughs> can't we have children? Uh, but there's a natural sense where love is to overflow. And, and having children is, is, an ex, is an overflowing of that. And God, God's love, as it were, like a fountain, overflowed and said, let's create men and women in our image. Let's have some children. He calls Adam God's son. Let's make them in our image that we can love them, that our love could overflow. And in that sense, we're, we're, we're made in God's image. We're, we're made in the best dads in the world, in the cosmos' image. We're made in, in the image of God. And we are his sons. And he, that's a sign that what he's like. He's the God who overflows. Ma, uh, Martin Luther called it a God who's turned out. Not turned inwards, but turned out. Not curved inwards, but turned out. And, and we're made in that image. We're made to be other. We're made to go and be more than just ourselves. But actually, when you look at the world, you can see that that is not how the story has panned out. The story is much more now about grasping for our own things and settling for our own stuff and gathering people to ourselves. Instead of overflowing, we want everything to flow into us. We've, uh, you may have heard me talk about it before. We're a bit like a black hole. We just pull everything into us, insatiably unsatisfied. God who's insatiable is constantly full, flows out. We were meant to be the same, but now we pull things in. Humanity rejected God. We turned in on ourselves, filling the earth, not with self-giving, overflowing love and life, but grasping self-centeredness, not with blessing, but sin and violence. And you find very quickly, instead of us um, ruling in God's image to bless the world, 
We rule in the image of the serpent. We rule in the image of the one who wants it all about himself. And before you know it, humanity's building a big tower. But before you know it, humanity's building a big tower. And instead of saying, we're going to go to the whole world, they're saying, let's build a big tower for our own glory and settle. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we'll make a name for ourselves. Instead of saying, we want to spread God's name. No, humanity, we want to make our own name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. The whole original plan was to go and be scattered over the face of the earth and bring God's blessing. But here's humanity saying, no, we're not going to be like God. We're going to pull everything in. We're going to build a tower and make it all about us. The world falls into chaos and brokenness. But God doesn't leave it there. As you know the story, he says to Abraham in Genesis 12 and also in 22, he says this, go. Go. He doesn't say, okay, stay where you are and do whatever. Because he was pretty close to where they built the original tower. Uh, There's a flood in between, but we'll go into that. But he says, go from your country. And he promises him a similar sort of thing. So he said to Adam and Eve, I will make you a great nation. That's lots of people. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. This is what God's saying. He says, I am going to bless you so that you can go and be a blessing, so that you can go and bless the whole earth. So the Lord went to, so Abraham went to the Lord and told, so Abraham went as the Lord told him, and then says in Genesis 22, through your seed, that's a singular person, that's Jesus, through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed. We're to go and be a blessing. Jesus is uh, if we're in Jesus, if we're Jesus' people, we're to go and be a blessing. And so what happened, this great nation emerges, the nation of Israel, but actually they don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't, do to, they don't bless the nations. What they do is become, and they're almost a bit still like it now, and, and you know, we, walls have been built everywhere. Everybody builds walls and separates off. And what happens is Israel uh, basically kept themselves separate. They said, we're God's people and you're going to bless us so that we can be the special ones. And those Gentiles, we're going to keep them outside. Those other nations, we're going to keep them outside. And in fact, the whole temple, as they built it, had a place in the middle. You can, oh, yeah, the picture, that's not, it's a model, by the way. It was destroyed in the 70s, you can't get a picture. But that's a model. But that central tower, as it was like the Holy of Holies, God's presence. And then around that, there's a court for the priests and the people of, and the men of Israel. And then outside that, there's a place for the women. And then outside that, there's a place for the other nations. It's almost instead of saying, come and let's all be together and let's bless, they're dividing it up and saying, more blessing for us, a bit more blessing for us, a bit more blessing for the men, less blessing for the women, and for the nations, forget it. Why does Jesus get so incensed when he comes into the, that square and they've turned it into a market? It says, this should be a house of prayer for all the nations. But they made it all about themselves. I mean, it's interesting, actually, that, that churches, we can easily do that. We can think that, actually, we're blessed to be a blessing. And I love it. I love it in those moments. If you ever go to big conferences or you're in those moments of worship, and God, you feel God is just blessing you. And we, do, you know, we, do, we sometimes, I've laid on the floor and just let God kind of pour over me. I thought, oh, yeah, lovely, I love it. Bless me, Lord, bless me. But what happens is we think, well, that's the end of the story. But actually the story is meant to be you get up, to guess, get up and bless the world. Not just say let's gather next week and have another bless. Now, it's, it's blessed 
to go, blessed to bless. And, we, and, and what happened is that, that, we, that Israel did like the first humans. We t- Israel turned in and said, it's all about us. We're not going to go. And so they're exiled. God says, yeah, I'm gonna, you're out of the land you go. I'm going to exile you. But, uh, but all the time the prophets were saying, there's going to become one who's going to do the original design, who's going to do what I originally asked Adam, a second Adam. Jesus Christ is going to come. And we read about it in John's Gospel, right at the very first verse, it says the word, Jesus Christ, God, the second person of the Trinity, God's Son, Jesus Christ, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full, full of grace and truth. There we have it, don't we? There's the one who goes from the Father and overflows. He's full of grace and truth. He's not coming needy and saying, I'm seeking worshippers. He's coming and saying, actually, I want to bless people. I want to bless people. I want to pour out grace and truth on them. He's the one who goes and gives and grows in kingdom. He says, my kingdom is here. My kingdom's here. Finally come. And what happens is that we wouldn't have it. Even the religious types, I read it this morning, the, the end of the prodigal son story, the religious types wouldn't have it. Jesus is saying, I'm, the way that God is, is to bless the whole world unconditionally, for free. I'm going to give you blessing for free, even though you've been foolish prodigals in a far-off country and doing stupid things, and I'm going to bless you for free. And the religious types said, that's not fair. You're supposed to keep it for us. It's supposed to be kept inside the four walls. It's supposed to be kept inside the building. It's supposed to be for those that have brushed up and earned it and looked nice and are nice and polite and middle class. What are you bringing that guy, the pig-smelling one in? I'm not going to sit with him. The church can do that. But Jesus comes and says, I'm going to do it differently. He's the Father, isn't he? It's not the Father and the Father. Jesus is the Father who comes and pays the price and runs to embrace us. The thing is, and I was, again, this morning in, in, in my reading, it's the religious ones that decided to kill him. It's the religious ones that decided to kill him. The ones who said, I'm not going to go. I'm going to keep it to myself. The ones who said, I'm keeping my hand tight. I'm not going to bless anyone. The ones who said, it's just about Israel. It's not about the nations. They're the ones that killed him. Jesus predicting his death when he's talking to one of those religious leaders and he's tr- who's trying to get his head around it, Nicodemus, he says this famous verses, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's this story of God sends and God gives and wants to bless. And Christ says, I've come to do that. I've got to come to do that. We could have gone a holy loads of different angles and verses, but, but the story finds its climax in three, over three days. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus is crucified. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us, well I put, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Why did Jesus die? He did this in order that the blessing given to Abram might, say it, go to the nations. 
Jesus has died, yes, for you and for your sins, to bring you to God, the prodigal who didn't deserve it. He's done that, but actually he's died that the, the, the promise to Adam to rule and bless the world that came to Abraham, it, that's now come to Jesus, that now come to us can be fulfilled. He did it. He died on the cross in order that the blessing given to Abraham might go to the nations through Jesus Christ. Jesus rises from the dead. And he says lots of things when he rises from the dead, but he says this all the way through. You can choose Mark's gospel, you can choose the end of John's gospel, you choose Matthew, and we'll do that in a minute. But he says this. Jesus, the risen Jesus, John 22 says, Peace be with you. Shalom. Blessing. That's what it means. Full blessing. I'm here to bring peace. I'm not here to bring judgment. I'm here to bring... He says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He doesn't say, great, story over, world made new, paradise here. There's a gap, as we said last week, from Jesus to heaven called the church. This is the most familiar verse, and you know I'd put, put this one in. Jesus came to him, end of Matthew 28, he's up on a mountain, he's about to be ascended to heaven, it says, all authorities, heaven and earth is given to me, therefore, Go. Make disciples of all nations. That's bless the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit isn't kind of like some kind of cultic ritual. It's saying, I want you to be immersed in the love that God as Father, Son and Spirit has shared through all eternity. That is amazing good news to go to the nations with. And that love stirs us. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded with you and surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't expect us to go alone though. The going God is still going. And whether we go God first or not, he's still going. The poured out one is still going. It says in the Nicene Creed about the Holy Spirit, it says the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. He goes out from the Father and the Son. He has come to send us to the end of the earth. Acts 1, 18. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to have great conferences and worship services. Oh, oh, you'll have power when the Holy Spirit comes on me to be my witnesses. That is to say, uh, Jesus has come. He's changed my life. He's risen from the dead. I've seen it. To be my witnesses to the whole earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, that's your background. You think, ah, this is just some thing plucked out of the air. That's the Bible story. That is the Bible story. The Bible story is to go and to give and to grow. And we'll pull some of those more this week. But let me just pile in for 20 minutes on go. Okay, so God first, we must go. Here's a little kind of shot between the, the eyebrows. Any church, says Oswald J. Smith, any church that's not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. I'm going to read that again. Any church that's not seriously involved in fulfilling the Great Commission in going has forfeited its biblical right to exist. Saying there's no other mandate, people. This is the mandate. This is what we're about. We have to go. 
So I look and think, well, have we forfeited our mandate to be a church? We can fill the building, and people, it's good to start filling the building. And, you know, but have we forfeited our mandate? Have we forfeited our biblical right to exist by thinking it's about something else? I hope not. Sometimes it's about practicals, about challenge. So we're going to set a goal, and you might think, oh, this is a pathetically weak goal. Go. At least 20 people to become Jesus followers, to become Christians by 2020. You think, that's like three years ago, only 20. It's embarrassing that the goal has got to be so low. But we have seen very few people become Christians in this church. It, it, it vexes me, it frustrates me, I feel sad about it. Because I know that you care, I know that you get it, I know that you, you know you're to go, I know that you, you're meant to tear the love of Jesus with the people around you, I know you get that. And I think, why is there so few? But we want to go. We, we, you know, I, I put in at least. It wouldn't be great if we busted it open by 2020 and we look back and we say, well, actually, we could have added a naught on because God did something fabulous. But right now, if you did two, that would be good, wouldn't it? And 20 would be amazing. So it is good to gather people who are, who, who are new into town. It is good to have people who join us who are Christians who, who say, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to add my weight to what you're doing. But if you want to join us, or if you're part of us, this is the sign-up. You sign up and say, I hear the Great Commission. I will go. We've got to go. We don't want to be like Israel and say, please come in here. Well, actually, not so close. You can... Stay at a distance. We won't really be your friends. Come sit on the seats. Come make the numbers up. But you know, we're not going to really let you in because we've got an inner crowd of priests and a few men and maybe ladies can... No, we want to say, come right in. But you know, most people in, in the world are not interested in one scrap. They're not interested in what we're doing at all here. I've re- this is a quote I've, I've thrown at you many times if you've been around before and it still resonates. I think even the stats are probably worse than when this quote was written about six years ago. It's from Steve Timmis and Tim Chester in that really excellent book called Everyday Church. It says, 70% of the UK population have no intention of ever attending a church service. I think it's more than that now. That means new styles of worship won't reach them. You know, we want to work on our worship, we want it to be great, but in the end, they're not bothered. I mean, in Manchester, the church I led in Manchester, we had a smoke machine. It always got a loaded vibe, and we had funky lights. Were the unbelievers drinking in the pub on Saturday night thinking, I must go to, I must go to Hope Church Manchester because they got funky lights? No! <laughs> this means new styles of worship will not reach them. Fresh expressions of church will not reach them. Alpha and guest service will not reach them. Churches meeting in pubs will not reach them. We met in a pub to start with. Did we have a single unbeliever come? No. We even got on TV. Church meets in pub. And then they realise, oh no, they're worshipping Jesus. Oh, sorry, and we never got shown. They filmed us and everything, and everyone said, yeah, we just want to love Jesus, preach the Bible. They thought we were swigging pints and swinging from the chandeliers. I don't know what they're doing. Anyway, churches meeting in pubs will not reach them. Toddler churches at the end of school will not reach them. The vast majority of unchurched, that means who've never been, or de-churched, people who used to go, will not turn to church, it says, even if faced with personal circumstances or even in the event of national tragedy. You know, hurricanes, interesting, isn't it? But they're the, the sweeping through the, the islands, the, the Caribbean islands. And, and, and they had this one lady on, she said, we just gathered my children together and we just prayed, God help us, God save us. Yeah? 
Now, and, and I think the churches in Houston have done amazingly, but the reality is nobody's, nobody's kind of thinking, oh, natu- national disaster, I need to find a reason for living. They'll say, well, I just need to move my stuff out of town. It's not a dig in Americans, I'm for them massively. You know, but I think national tragedy. Actually, during 9-11 and the death of Diana and places like that, actually one or two people did go to church. But maybe they were out of the 30%. Most people didn't think, I'm going to head for church. It's not a question of improving the product of church meetings and evangelistic events, although we want to do that. It means reaching people apart from meetings and events. 1 Peter 2, finished, almost kind of pulling towards the end of the Bible story, says, this is in the mandate now, live such good lives among the pagans. That's, actually, those that are like the countryside dwellers, so we're well placed here in Cheltenham. Uh, pagans, you know, it's become to mean people who don't believe in God, but live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, you know, the guy, the conservative guy who says, well, actually, I think all abortion's wrong. He's had massive flack. I was with Paul Hunt on Friday morning. I showed him a video clip of somebody who's going to be, uh, who's applying to be an American Court of Appeal judge. And the lady interviewing her, Democrat lady interviewing her, said, the dogma dwells loudly within you. And she's saying that's a reason to put her off. We don't want you because you're committed to Jesus. The dogma dwells loudly within you. I, uh, Andrew Wilson, who, not our Andrew Wilson, another Andrew Wilson tweeted, he said, that is a great phrase, isn't it, to say to people. You know, it's, instead of the force be with you. May the dogma, that's your faith, dwell loudly within you. I'd love that to be true for us. You know, I think the lady, she stood there very politely as she was being basically told she wasn't fit to be a high court judge. And I think... No, the dogma dwelling loudly within her, in her is the absolute thing that qualifies her to bless and judge and rule and go. Live such good deeds, though they accuse you of doing wrong, and we'll get more of that, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. I love it when people say, you know, there's something about you. I played golf with... Um, a couple of guys, my normal golf partner was away, so Tuesday was a sweat a few weeks, a few months back, and so I, I played with a guy called Neil Bennett, actually, some of you may know, and, and some, some, just some randomers who were on the tee. But these two guys, who weren't Christians, you know, they get into talking, well, what do you do, and what's, you know, what, what do you do? And so Neil sort of talks what he does, and I talk about what I do. And, and they, they, they said, they didn't know what to say. <laughs> they didn't know what to say. Uh, but at the end, Neil had to go. I, I mean, he's so ashamed of his round. I'm probably doing him a disservice. But Neil had to go. And anyway, I stayed and had a beer with him. And they and these guys said to me, you know, we were really put on the back foot when you said you were a vicar. I didn't say I was a vicar, but when you said you, you're a vicar. But actually, you're just a really nice guy. There's just something about you. And I went, that's obviously my new shirt, my good looks, my golf. No! They see Jesus in us. We don't realise how potent that is. That people see Jesus in us. That they'll glorify God on the day he visits. Again, Timis and Chester say this. Today people are unpersuaded by mere intellectual arguments. Not that they don't count. But genuine, but authentic lives, genuine community and loving relationships all compellingly point to Jesus. Your life is to be a missional event.
I love it when Naomi comes back uh, from school and she talks to me about the kids and what they're doing and stuff. But she also gets those moments where people like talk to her about Jesus. And she has lots of those conversations because she's great. Because she's really a great person to be around. She's warm, she's blessing, she's friendly, she's outgoing. And she's having conversations with somebody who's like a, a, a TA in her, her, her school. And she's saying, you need to come and see. Come and see what it's like. Because he's like, there's something, you know, there's something about you. Okay, I'm going to give you um, some missional cogs. I thought of this last night, so it might not work. You know what happens is it sort of feels like sometimes why are people getting saved because there's bits missing in the machine. There's kind of cogs that are t- that we're missing. So let me. Uh, so these these headings. If I say the headings come from PJ Smythe, you might listen more smartly, might you? Anyway, uh, the headings missional team. The top. You, you need a cog called the missional team. In other words, there's something called you lot. You're the missional team. In other words, it's not like you just get to do this together. Get, get to do it on your own. We get to do this together. Part of what we do here is to say, come on, that's what we're doing. Part of what we want to do in our groups is to say, hey, come on, let's make sure that we connect to people that don't know Jesus. You need a missional team. It's your church. We're on a mission together. This is what we are. We're a missional team. We're one saying we're going to go and we're going to give and we're going to grow and we're going to bless. You need a missional team. But you also need a mission field. And sometimes you think about a mission field, oh, well, that means you've got to go to Rwanda, or you've got to go to Nepal. But we need a mission field. But actually, your mission field is the people you know who don't know Jesus. If your life has become so like Israel, so walled off from anybody who's outside, it's in the wrong shape. It's in the wrong shape. Um... I love the fact that she's on Christ. My daughter, she kind of went to Reading Festival, went to Magaluf, and you think, oh my word. <laughs> my mum would have never let her go to Magaluf. In fact, we never let Jotham go to Magaluf. But <laughs> another story. But <laughs> Damaris has gone to Magaluf, and I said, she goes, to, goes into, this, into the world, in inverted commas, and doesn't compromise. And people think, Damaris, there's something about you. You've got to know, you've got to be out there in the big wide world. Most of you got jobs. I'm sure that when you go to work on, uh, on Monday morning, they don't say, right, let's have a moment of prayer. They don't all say, well, how was church service on Sunday morning? They don't do any of that, do they? Very few. You might have one, one person in your work as a Christian. But you've got a mission field. You've got people. You all live next door to people. Some of you got bigger houses. Some of you live squashed in with other people if you're students. But you all live near people, and those, those are your mission field. Those are the people that God has given you. It says in Acts 17 that God has determined the times and places where people live that they might reach out to God. He's put you where you are, and the people who live next door, who work with you, who go to work with you, who share a car with you, who golf with you, or do whatever you do, run with you, or read books with you, or do whatever they do, that he's put them there for a purpose. So that you can go and bless them. So you need those two to mash together. Uh, but sometimes, if you've just had the people who are not Christians, you've got to get that church cog with it. You've got to get that community cog. You've got to put some of us with some of them. And now sometimes we've got it wrong. and We say, right, Mr. Non-Christian, why don't you just come and sit in this meeting with all of us? 
Well, usually the, the, the actual way is that we, one or two of us, go and into their meetings. Whatever they do, down the pub, all by one, toward Britain, whatever, and we're out there. And you need to put those two cogs together. And make sure they work. The next cog you need to get is, is what, what PGSMI is called mission rhythm. Sounds like a funky worship band in the uh, Reading Festival. Mission rhythm. But actually what it's saying is we look at our lives and say, I've no space for this. Because we see being a missionary, we see loving Jesus and loving the world as like, well, little boxes. So I'll, this is my church box and I'm in that box. And then this is my world, what I do. And I'm a mom and I am do this and I do this and do this. And then there's this thing called telling people about Jesus. And you think, oh, flip. Maybe we should have a week to tell people about Jesus. And we might do. You know, a mission week. Or we might have a special meeting to tell people about Jesus. But actually PJ is saying, no, no, no. Your rhythms of your life are where you fit it into your diary. So if you eat food, you can eat food with people on your, from your mission feed. If you, if you do run, if you do whatever you do, musician, if you like arts, you can fit that in. That's a, a vital cog that those three go together. So it's, it's kind of, it's people who don't know Jesus, it's your regular lives, and it's some of us mixed together, and that's all turns. And that, that's all good. But you actually need another component, which I, I, I added in. You need to tell them about Jesus. You need to tell them about Jesus. Somewhere along the line, there has to be a gospel story. A gospel is a proclamation of good news. Of Jesus. Somewhere along the line, you have to tell them. You've got to pray for that time when you say, oh, I want to talk about this. So the guy that I play golf with, you know, he's, he's kind of has his moments where he's open. Not Mark Rayfield, another guy. Uh, but but he, when he's open and wants to talk... So when, when we're talking about funerals, I said, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm preparing for the funeral. What, oh, what are you going to talk about? So I tell him a little sermon as he hits his ball into the rough. You know, and... <laughs> no, it's usually me, and I go, laughing, faffing. He says, oh, you've just lost all your integrity. But, you know, I tell him what it is. And he put a little tweet, uh, put a little a text to me. He said, praying for you. I thought, ooh, I'm going to ask him about that next week. Praying, what did you do? But you need to tell people the gospel. Sometimes that means you talk out there, but sometimes it might say, well, come here and hear it. What is amazing, guys, is that actually, what is amazing when people who don't know Jesus come here, they say, I like it. Tom brought a friend, didn't you, from work. And and I don't know whether you were nervous or whether you said, well, Howard goes on a bit long and whatever. And And we're all apologetic thinking it's going to be terrible. And he said, it was amazing. He was like grabbing me and holding my hand out there <laughs> next to the iPad. It was like, oh, it's amazing. It was completely amazing. He said, I've never had an experience like it. There was just something amazing about it. It was like, so we see, coming next week? No. <laughs> but we mustn't be afraid to say, come here. We mustn't be afraid to say, go to 321. When we finish the last 321, everyone's thinking, I don't want to finish. Can we have a dinner? Can we go? Didn't we? He was like, can we carry on? Can we carry on? You know, it's okay to invite people because somewhere along the line you've got to put the gospel in. And hopefully if we turn the handle with you and your friends that don't know Jesus and your regular rhythms of life and telling them the gospel, it's not as easy as this because God, salvation belongs to God. We can't work it. But some, somewhere out there, 20 people get saved. So we've got to go. That's our first one. Second one is go. Send a church plant team by 2020. In fact, this is a bit of a cheat because we've already got one up our back pocket. And he's just come out of crash. So why don't you come and tell us what you're going to do, Andy, and then we'll finish. Let's welcome Andy.
Cool. Um, I've got no idea what Howard's been saying, so uh, if I repeat anything you said, or um, I apologise. Um, so yeah, as Howard has already introduced, uh, myself and Vic, my wife, we're looking to uh, go start a church plant, um, I think, eight years ago. Moved down from Manchester with the Kellets uh, as a young, single, naive young man uh, looking for a bit of an adventure to find out what church plant is all about. And uh, Eight years later, here I am thinking of going to do the same thing myself. And in one sense, it absolutely scares the heck out of me. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know what life's going to look like over the next few years and what, how that's going to be. But in another sense, I think increasingly, I just feel I want to be on an adventure in life. I don't want yes. to live a comfy life. I, I, I hear the Great Commission of Jesus saying, go into all the world, make disciples. And I think, I want to be a part of that. And I think that comes out in many different ways. Some, it's in, for many of us, it's just in our everyday life in our workplaces and then sometimes um, I think where me and Vic are feeling at the moment is actually he's freeing us to um, start a new ch- expression of church I think the, where we're at the moment is there's lots of questions which are unanswered um, so when we haven't got a specific place yet but we're looking into West London uh, we feel the call to be in a, in a big city um, and for many reasons we're, at the moment we're, we're looking at West London so it's not that there's been a big finger coming down from heaven saying I choose you I want you to go here but actually what we do feel is actually the call of God on our lives to go and be part of a building church we love church we love local church we love the worldwide church it's Jesus' bride and in many ways it gets a bad rep in the media but it is in a wonderful expression of who God is and yes. what he's about. And that's what we want to see. We want to see the church grow and uh, we want to see the lost saved. We want to see communities transformed. And so that's where we're at. And uh, I'm sure Howard wouldn't let me say this, but if you want to come join us, you're more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so over the next few months and the next year, you'll be hearing a lot more from us as to um, how that plan is uh, come, coming about um, with a bit more details and, and stuff. So... It's going to be sad when we do leave. It's going to be because we've shared life here um, and there's many good friends. But actually at the same time, I think we're excited that we're partnering with you guys. It's not like we're, we're just going off to do something on our own. But actually, you guys are right behind us and we're going to feel that support and love from you. So. Brilliant, Andy. Well yeah, done. Great. Tim Keller says this, The continual planting of new churches and congregations is the most crucial strategy for the growth of the body of Christ. New churches best reach new generations, new residents, new people groups. So we've got to send our best. There's not a couple in the church that are better than Andy and Vic. Some of you are equal. No, but there's not a, a better couple than Andy and Vic. But we believe that, that we're called to go. We're not called to settle in Eden, settle in the temple and say, isn't it nice? We're called to go. And we're hoping this is going to be the first of many. We're hoping to have an engine room of a church here that we can send out church plants to the nation or the nations. And some of you might want to go with Andy, hopefully not leaving me on my own, but, you know, we'll talk about it. Uh, But hopefully we'll have momentum to do that. Okay. Jesus says, um, he said, ask, he says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. There's not many of us here. Ask, therefore, pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. There's a big hand and saying, that's us. I know that I'm not as missional as I could be, 
And I know that you probably feel, oh, I'm not either. But that's not what we're responding to this morning. What we're going to say is, I'm willing. I'm willing to go by God's spirit and God's grace. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go to my mission field, which is my neighbours at work. I'm going to my mission field, a city across the UK, maybe to the nations. But we've got to go. Otherwise, we forfeit the right to meet here. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.